Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Strategies. Hello, and welcome to number 39. In this episode, we'll talk about market action in April, the Fed, inflation, rates, and opportunities in fixed income. Let's start with market action in April. Quite frankly, it was a pretty brutal month for most asset classes. The S&P 500 index was down almost 9% and is off 13% for the year through the end of April. The tech-heavy Russell 1000 growth index ended down 12% in April and is down 20% for the year. The Russell 2000 value index was down little under 8% in April and down about 10% for the year. International equities were down about 6%. Generally speaking, equity markets are down anywhere from 10 to 20% for the year. And this is an asset class with a standard deviation of 15%. The real carnage is taking place in the bond market. This is an asset class that historically has standard deviation of around 4%. Yet we're seeing The aggregate index in April was down almost 4% in the month, and it's down almost 10% for the year. That is an absolute rout. High yield was down 3.5% in April. For the year, it's down over 8. The bright spot has been floating rate loans. It was up 17 basis points in April, and for the year, floating rate loans are up 7 basis points. Outside of floating rate loans, it's been pretty significant moves. Now, from a yield standpoint, The 10-year Treasury entered the month at 2.32% and ended at 2.88%. Today, we are well over 3%, so there's more negative returns coming on the fixed rate side. The good part is, investment-grade corporate debt is now yielding over 4%, and high-yield bonds are now yielding over 7%. So those asset classes are certainly more interesting. As far as the takeaways, there's still a tremendous amount of uncertainty with regard to inflation, and in particular, the energy markets, and wages. And at the same time, the Fed is pretty clear about its intent to tighten monetary conditions. So those elements right now are being calibrated and leading to quite a bit of volatility. Now let's jump to the the real topic at hand, which is the Federal Reserve. On May 4th, they increased interest rates 50 basis points as expected. Funny enough though, I think they added a little bit of a dovish twist. I mean, right now the markets have been concerned about the Fed being overly hawkish. Well, in this meeting, we saw a pretty substantial rally the day of the increase, in part because Chair Powell indicated that a 75 basis point hike had not been considered. So with the 75 basis point hike off the table, markets are pricing in a 50 basis point hike in the June meeting and another 50 basis point increase in the July meeting. That will take short-term rates to around 2%. As we get into the third quarter, I think the Fed will probably hit neutral, which I think neutral is around 2.5%. Once the Fed gets to this neutral rate, that's where things will get interesting to see if they actually need to tighten conditions and go beyond 2.5%. I think the rate of inflation is very critical at this stage. In particular, the rate of inflation at the end of summer. We're sitting here with inflation at 7 to 8% on a year-over-year basis. If we maintain that level, the Fed's probably going to move beyond neutral. If the rate of inflation drops into that 4 to 5% range, then I think 
you'll likely see the Fed start to back off tightening. In my opinion, that is the critical element which will determine how tight monetary conditions get. Let's dive a little deeper into this inflation story and get to wages. I mean, the wage element is an inflationary pressure that is much more uncertain now. And just to give you some color, the ratio of job vacancies to unemployed is about two times. Chair Powell did mention that the ratio needs to decrease. And as a reference, pre-pandemic, job openings were around 7 million. They're currently at 11.5 million. So essentially, essentially, the Fed would like to see job openings heading to pre-pandemic levels, which is another 4 million jobs. That's, a, that's quite a tall task. You also saw annualized quarter-of-a-quarter increase of employment costs at 5.5%. Again, very high. Right now, labor has leverage. And I would say we had a decade where capital had leverage over labor and exploited that leverage. You now have a situation where labor seems to have leverage over capital and labor is pushing that forward. Let's chat a little bit about consumer spending and earnings. And I'll touch on earnings first. What we're seeing generally with earnings is that they're strong. However, misses have come predominantly from inflationary pressure. And when the misses come, the companies get hit. What this tells you from an earnings standpoint is demand is there. And the misses coming primarily from inflation and wages are really causing the headaches. My general takeaway is if you're a price setter, you are far better positioned than a price taker. And what I mean by that, we'll start with autos. When you think about the price setter for autos, the manufacturers, right, Ford and GM, they're essentially setting vehicle pricing and it's being absorbed. And many times the vehicles are still selling well above MSRP. So that is the first line of defense for the price setter. A price taker would be a lot of the suppliers to the manufacturers. So supply takers have to take the prices of the raw materials, which have gone up, and also take the price of their end client, in this case, Ford and GM. So a lot of the suppliers are getting squeezed from an input cost and output pricing. So if you're a supplier, you are taking pressures from the raw material input and not able to pass that through because your end client is not willing to pay that. They're the ones that are struggling right now. Another indicator of demand is airline traffic. Now, the major airlines have come out in the second quarter and said revenue was higher than in 2019, despite significantly less flying capacity. Why is that? Simply pricing. People are paying up to travel. Also, business travel is recovering and international is reopening. So the airlines are able to set pricing right now, and they're passing the inflation costs through pretty well. The street was expecting a little more pressure due to rising fuel prices, but the airlines have been able to pass that through. Overall, I think what we're seeing is that for every 1% of inflation, corporations seem to be able to generate 2 to 3% of incremental profits. When you look through to consumer sectors, demand has not lessened. On the margin, demand has probably fallen off a tiny bit due to pricing, but it's very much there. There's still a ton of consumer savings, people are paying up, and you're seeing wage inflation help with that. The reason I'm sharing this is because markets are getting hammered, but the economy is strong. So if I were to tie all this up, the job picture is very strong, the demand picture is very strong, and corporate profits are moving in the right direction. This is really an inflation story, and I would say beyond that, a rate of inflation story. If inflation starts to roll over and you hear the term peak inflation, then you end up being in a situation where as that rolls over, the cost of capital reduces, the Fed doesn't have to be as aggressive, and the markets can get more comfortable, and we run. So if the rate of inflation maintains where it is or even accelerates, you're essentially going to force the central bank into 
tightening monetary conditions substantially. And then you end up getting an inverted curve and there are a lot of negative knock-on effects. So in my opinion, it really is about the rate of inflation and what that looks like over the next three to six months. Now, this brings us to the fixed income markets. If you've listened to these updates for the past 16 months, you've heard a consistent message, and that was me being very constructive on floating rate loans. Well, the beauty of floating rate is it's one of the few asset classes in the world of debt where you can have your yields increase without having your prices decrease. And that's the magic of it. So the Fed raised interest rates 50 basis points on May 4th. The overnight rate goes up. It's about one to three month lag for the underlying loans to ratchet up their payments, depending on where they place their coupon. But more importantly, as the Fed raises, you're going to see an increase in coupons. Now, the part about this particular raise that was important is a little more nuanced. A lot of these floating rate loans have what they call floors, and these floors were set at 50 or 75 basis points. Well, with the current 50 basis point raise, we've now blown through that. And with expectations they raise again in June and July, you're going to see, you're going to see those increasing coupons more rapidly. And with the expectation the Fed is to be aggressive over the next year, and I believe investors in this asset class should benefit from the Fed increasing rates. Now, as it relates to fixed rate, this is where things get a little more interesting. The 10-year Treasury yield is now over 3%. High-grade corporates are over 4%, technically around 4.3. Triple B corporates are over 4.5% and heading towards 5. And high-yield bonds have crossed over 7%. So let's suppose we're in a world where you believe inflation is going to level off. Thus, the Fed is going to sit around neutral. So in that scenario, your coupon in high yield is going to sit at 7 to 8% without rate pressures. So there's a decent possibility where you get spread compression and thus you get an above coupon return over the next few years. Investment-grade corporate credit, which has a much longer duration, is sitting in the 4 to 5% range. If you actually have some settling of inflation in a year or so, your return total for high grade could be above coupon, which puts you in the mid to high single digits. The beauty of where we sit right now is many areas of the fixed income market have become much more interesting. Again, I'll use the term interesting, but not attractive. Let's see where things settle out. And finally, I want to conclude with a personal reflection. I've been having these little poker nights with longtime friends over the past six months or so. As we get older, one of the things that we talk about is how we want to be judicious in who we spend our time with. I mean, it's natural for us to become more like the people we spend the most amount of time with. So we should choose wisely. But also, we should choose widely. Because in life, it's too short to live lonely or narrowly. That's my two cents. And I take that from the Daily Stoic, a favorite daily email read of mine. Appreciate the time. Thank you. And stay tuned. The views in this commentary are as of the publication date and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. All third-party trademarks referenced belong to their respective owners.